All right, team, let's get into it. Story number one uh, is exciting. I am looking forward to the story because basically what we're doing is we are giving our opinions on some opinions, and that's always great. Uh, <laughs> we're basically chatting about a story that I found in Forbes called Five Ways Work Has Changed Forever. Uh, this story was written and put together by uh, Massimo Raparini. He's the CIO and head of customer experience at Logitech, and he's a Forbes Councils member. Uh, basically, he put this together to give his, uh, you know, a C-suite perspective, high-level perspective on how business is going to change because of the pandemic and how it's going to basically be changed forever. We're never going back to a, a pre-pandemic version of these things. There's five different main points. I agreed with some and disagreed with others. And so I wanted to basically walk through the five, get y'all's thoughts, and come to a more collective business casual consensus on what we think is actually going to change and what we think is just going to, you know, blow over mid or post-pandemic. So, um... Let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, Massimo Rapparini, he said that these are five areas he thinks will never be the same again. So with that in mind, let's start with number one. Number one is office space. Not the movie, fantastic movie, but <laughs> like the physical space in an office. Uh, I'm going to read quotes from him on these and then we'll give thoughts. So this is from the piece uh, on office space. Quote, we're now used to roaming and working in varied environments, on the dining room table, on the couch, or outside. The office space may need to be updated to reflect this fluidity and to embrace the fact that more employees may want to work from home and have clearly proven it can be done effectively. Sites may be smaller, with more spaces adapted for blended video and face-to-face -face meetings, reworked to reflect a home office environment that blurs the personal and professional, the formal and informal, and the real and virtual." End quote. All right, so first thoughts on that, on how he sees the office space changing permanently. Do y'all agree or disagree? Bullish or bearish on that one? <laughs> I, I, I'll go ahead. I think, you know, I mean, I, I agree. I think that, you know, we're, we're obviously uh, shifting and changing the ways that we interact with devices. Um, our, our technology is changing to help kind of... Uh, uh, enable us to be more fluid, a little bit more flexible in the places that we work. And I, I think that, you know, there's been a strong sentiment from both companies and employees that, um, you know, working from home, working in a uh, at least a non-structured um, environment as, as like an office, you know, something like that, where we can uh, do a little bit more of this on uh, a, uh, a level that, you know, allows us to not have to be at a place geographically. I, I absolutely think that that's going to continue. Um, not only that, you know, I think it creates a lot of room for opportunity for us to grow, you know, in both uh, the sectors of, you know, creating technology that's going to help that as well as creating, you know, workflows and uh, things that are, that are going to just help us to become better workers. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think the office space is going to change. That was probably the the main um, impact on work that, that this was going to have in my mind. So uh, uh, it seems reasonable. So in this particular aspect of things, I think what Massimo is saying is that not that I don't think he's using this point to say that more people are going to work from home. I think he's using this point to say that he thinks that the office space will be adjusted to more accurately reflect how people have been working from home. So maybe mm. more like couch spaces or more um, like more 
I, I guess different than the standard cubicle or a standard desk type setup, I think he's expecting that, that office spaces will adjust to look maybe more home-like or something along those lines. And that to mm. me would be would be very interesting. And I'm not positive that I entirely agree that people are going to, you know, kind of reorient their offices in order to have that kind of fluidity and, and that sort of thing. Um that that'll be very interesting for for me to see. You know, when we had that conversation with Jason McCann from Very, who you know spoke a little bit about this, you know, this trend of kind of moving forward and people wanting more flexible office spaces. And I I think to a certain extent I agree, but I'm not sure it'll reflect exactly the the same the the, the same kind of uh, flexibility that we have in a home environment. Like I don't picture mm-hmm. offices bringing in like a couch for people to sit on and sit and work and that kind of thing. I think maybe more uh, movable and uh, adjustable kind of barriers between spaces and things like that. I see something like that occurring perhaps. Um, and I, I think that that might be a positive change, but I'm not sure about like a wholesale um, a wholesale change away from what the current office situation looks like. Daniel? I agree, man. I... I think like the the key words here is when he says sites may be smaller. Like I think uh, you know at the end of the day, obviously these are all just opinions and 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 conjecture. But I really do think this idea that when we go back to the office, that suddenly we're going to have a completely decentralized office space, or that the desk will no longer exist, or that everyone just kind of gets to work wherever they want. You know, I'm not necessarily saying that there won't be that kind of mobile adaptability because honestly, at market scale, we've been trying to adapt to go mobile with our work even before a pandemic was ever on our radar. We were, you know, whipping out our iPads. We were going to different desks across the office, just, you know, drills to make sure that we're able to work remotely if need be. And I feel like the culture around that might change, but I don't think that the literal space, at least like you said, wholesale, maybe for um, companies that have the capital to invest in, hey, you know what, let's get rid of all our desks, we're going to now have a cool new like decentralized workspace. I, I just don't see a lot of workspaces having the investment to make that kind of change or finding it um, especially in a pandemic where everyone is struggling financially to, to say, ah, our first investment now, or when we're reopening or when everyone reopens or, you know, when business starts to get back to normal is we're going to, you know, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on couches and uh, decentralized little Mm. workplaces. It seems like most business leaders, in my opinion, are going to shy away from that kind of choice because I think there are other uh, changes coming from, uh, the pandemic on our work environment and our work culture that will probably come before this kind of luxury change, which is what I think it will be interpreted as, even if, you know, it is not luxury, even if it is a, a potentially um, exciting and uh, beneficial way to structure your workplace. I just don't think we're going to be able to see immediately. It does not seem like an investment that's going to be made wholesale. Mm. Mm. So I'm a little uh, I'm a little bearish on that one. <laughs> I'm with you. All right, number two. So number two is home and not home office. Here is uh, what Mr. Massimo Rapparini said. Quote, the line between home and home office may blur. We're likely to have a variety of spaces at home where we can work productively, think creatively, and meet formally and informally. 
just like we used to at the office. So companies need to consider policies and practices that will ensure healthy boundaries for work and personal lives when working remotely. This one I'm much more bullish on. This seems way more likely and something that for, uh, I think, most corporate or knowledge work, uh, basically work that was able to transition to work from home, uh, I can see this kind of idea, especially if they retain even one day a week of working from home, being something that companies implement into their company culture or at least into some focused strategy around how do we want to communicate around working from home and give our employees tips. This sounds more like something that would be given time and energy and literal money and resources. What do you all think? Yeah, I, I think that this is actually what I was getting out of that first take and, uh, and how we're going to shift some of the ways that we are working from home to look uh, and, or at least feel similar to the ways that we were working in the office rather than vice versa, having the office feeling more like home, which, uh, you know, now hearing you guys uh, put that into context does it sound pretty absurd. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I think we're already seeing this, you know, it's uh, uh, people probably, you know, like us who are kind of in a more creative space, you know, we, we obviously have, you know, like little home setups and studios, we deal with hardware and things like that, that, um, you know, our, our jobs require, but uh, I, I think that we're going to start seeing that more and more with people who just need a... Uh, just a home office in general. You know, I live in a, uh, a studio apartment here downtown. A lot of times I'm just working on my couch, you know, I'm working on, uh, you know, kind of things that, that I have set up around me. But, um, I think that, that one giving, uh, areas that, that kind of, uh, create productivity, that create, uh, um, accessibility, uh, and also just give you the tools that you would find here in an office, you know, and, and like I said, you know, with, our profession, we obviously deal with a lot of hardware. We have studios in here. We have things that we need to come in for. Um, so any job that's going to require setups like that, I think, are going to definitely shift towards um, you know seeing a, a, a big uh, investment in making sure that we can have some of those spaces um, at home. And and honestly, I think we'll probably get into this in some of these these later points here, but um, I think that this is one of the most interesting topics on this whole conversation because now that we start to blur the line of, you know, what is home property and what is corporate property at a any given moment, and I don't mean that in terms of, you know, who does the property physically belong to, but the um, kind of bounds in which, you know, maybe some of the privacy, you know, concerns are. So are you using your home computer? Are you using, you know, other things? What parts of, you know, dealing with something that might be going on at your home on work time, uh, you know, even just in general productivity, how much, uh, you know, hands are, you know, a company or a corporation going to have inside of your physical home because it is by extension now a place of operation for their business. Um, I think it does invite, you know, uh, honestly, this ideal of potentially co-ownership of some of those spaces in a, uh, um, maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but not, not entirely. So, um, like I said, I think we'll talk a little bit more about these on some of the, these other topics, but yeah, the home and not home office and the, the connection between those, I think is, uh, um, going to be pretty tricky and, and we'll probably, you know, go back and forth a little bit, but, uh, in terms of just general hardware and setup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've already seen it. So, yeah. And I think, I think boundaries, especially as it relates to, um, to creating guidelines. And I'm sure a lot of companies have already done this. Um, but 
when you are working from home, if you're going to be on a video call on Zoom, you know, how do you professionally present yourself mm-hmm. once it's no longer understood that everybody is working from home, right? I, I think there's mm-hmm. been maybe some leniency granted in these in, in these cases during these times because everybody recognizes that everybody's in the same boat. But come, you know, October, November, I'd love to believe that we're on the other side of this thing. Who knows whether or not we will be. But let's just say, for example, in November we are, um, but you still have a day where you can work from home and there's that flexibility given. I would I would imagine that there are more guidelines around um, what your setup looks like, uh, how you present yourself and, you know, everything down to what you're wearing and looking still just as professional as you would in the office, even though you are working from home. And so I think that that's something that I do see evolving and changing as companies, you know, do allow more work from home, but do still want to put their best foot forward when it comes to Mm -hmm. presentation and that sort of thing. Right. Agreed. All right. Number three, virtual events. Mr. Rapparini said, quote, the current situation has completely disrupted travel and industry events, but I am convinced that with disruption comes an opportunity for reinvention. Some of the events I would have attended in person are beginning to reimagine themselves, shifting rapidly toward a virtual model. I see incredible opportunities to engage with others' insights and participate in panels or keynotes virtually, and businesses hoping to reach larger audiences should take note. Uh, okay, so my take on this is that though I don't think virtual events are going to replace uh, in-person events, uh, I don't necessarily think that's what he's saying, but the idea of reinvention, I don't think that the the in-person trade show or conference or... Um, like industry meetup is going to disappear. However, I do think that virtual engagement, panels, keynotes, live content, uh, even you know uh, digital video interviews, podcasts, uh, whatever. Basically, your content marketing and how that engages with live presentation is absolutely changing. And I, I think people have absolutely seen the benefits of investing in basically, you know, everyone opening their own Twitch channel, if I'm being honest, like that's kind of like not literally Twitch, but the idea of every company engaging with and having some kind of live presence or um, educational and content driven presence online is absolutely going to be a trend we're going to see. And probably, in my opinion, like Massimo said, it's going to cement itself as a commonality across different industries. That's Mm -hmm. my take on it. Daniel, when it comes to trade shows, before this all happened, did you know of any trade show that allowed for um, maybe a virtual registration so you could attend keynote addresses from from a trade show without being there? Because I can't think of I can't think of any, and maybe I'm wrong, but for the most part, I believe that m- that the majority of trade shows that I interacted with before this all started only had in-person registration, and so I almost wonder if it's not a an unexplored revenue model for trade shows, and and I wouldn't be surprised at all if this is something that happens for there to be a, another revenue stream for just online participants who want to be able to still get those insights and are willing to pay for those insights, but uh, not undertake the travel. You know what I mean? 
So I think mm-hmm. that that's, I, I think that this is something that people are seeing and saying, oh, hey, this is actually, this is possible. Um, you know, we went to an all virtual, you know, uh, model for a, a certain amount of time. You know, why not once we fully reopen and are able to, you know, have uh, in-person events again, why not still keep that revenue stream open and still keep that option available to us? So uh, I, I see that as something that, that I think will definitely occur. And it also kind of, it also broadens your reach, right? If, if you know, your insights are only, um, are only available to a certain number of people in a, in a room, then, you know, you're, you're limiting what that reach can be. Um, but if it's virtual, then you're expanding it out to the entire world, to anybody with internet access, which is a lot of people. And so I think that there are multiple benefits to, to still maintaining a, a virtual presence, even once we can meet again in person. Definitely. I agree. Because those digital channels aren't going away, and it's not like they weren't there before the pandemic either. It's just people are realizing that there's value in engaging on them and everyone is like everyone basically like realized that value at the same time. Or the people mm-hmm. that are gonna realize that value realized it like simultaneously. So there's an entirely new engaged digital audience in my opinion looking for that kind of B2B content online. So I agree. I think it it will have some staying power. Yeah. Um, I actually uh, think that the models that we're going to see for virtual events, um, the ones that are going to, you know, shift the industry towards, uh, um, you know, that being, I, I think, the the main delivery method of, you know, either a trade show or a keynote or, um, you know, other types of announcements. Um, I, I think that those models probably don't exist yet. Um, while, yes, we do have, you know, a lot of... Um, versions i think that that uh you know we kind of associate with like okay watch a live stream and maybe you know you can enter a chat or even something like we touched on last week like a super chat where you're able to you know pay a certain amount get somebody to answer you know and you can enter interact in a uh discussion that way i do think that there are ways that we can um in the future connect everybody virtually with you know virtual profiles and you know um things that are uh, you know uh I think, uh, recognizable to us right now, but in platforms that probably don't currently, you know, exist. And maybe that is, you know, on the, the coattails of something like a Twitch or, you know, things that do exist already. Uh, but I, I'm really excited to see the future of this space. I know that market scale, you know, obviously we, uh, have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I think momentum towards the virtual event space and towards the live broadcast space and things like that. And, you know, while they, I think currently represent the way that we approached them in, uh, you know, the pre pandemic, uh, era, um, I think we're going to see a shift in, in how those things look, how they interact, uh, the technology that's going to be built around, you know, creating those. Um, I, so I, I think that, that we're blind to really what some of the future of that has to offer, um, you know, on, on some levels there. So I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. Um, other than that, I, I absolutely agree with, with everything you guys have touched on. All right, next chunk, recruitment diversity. Mr. Massimo said this, quote, I'd like to believe that companies will rethink where they find their next best and brightest employees and evaluate a more diverse talent pool that may be in cities or countries where they have no physical office. This is hiring sans frontiers. I think he was doing some French there. 
uh, basically hiring without borders. And when we recruit without the thought of borders or boundaries, we open access to the best talent for a more diverse group of people, cultures, ideas, and experiences, end quote. Um, I'm a little bearish on this one. Not that I don't want something like this to be implemented wholesale across industries, um, but the idea of companies having more resources to hire outside of their immediate area or that people are going to be in a place to uh, move and uproot themselves to a new location, um, I think is unlikely. Now, the idea of hiring remotely and like, you know, you're a company in one country and you get an employee that works for you remotely in another country, uh, that might be doable. And I could see how remote work tools and our current COVID situation would set that up. Um, but I I just don't see... Mm, I don't know. I don't see this being a major uh, just kind of like cross-industry idea or strategy that sticks. It seems a little out of the comfort zone and it doesn't sound like something that's happening now during the pandemic. So this feels like an optimistic, like, okay, maybe the dominoes will push us in this direction and now we'll all hire more globally. Uh, I mean, honestly, if anything, the kind of global uh, work interaction that we are going to see is mm -hmm. outsourcing. And that is probably not what I would classify as recruitment diversity. So, um, yeah, that's my take on that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I definitely think that's a great point. Um, you know, one specifically, I, I think it just kind of goes without saying, if recruitment diversity isn't a priority for you going into the pandemic or going into this space, I don't think it's going to necessarily be one for you coming out of this. You know, it's if, if you haven't already had that in mind, um, you know, ahead of time, I don't see this being, you know, the turning point that's going to, you know, give a the company kind of this uh, uh, inspiration to now... Uh, you know, hire a little bit more diversely. That being said, um, back to my, my previous statement, I think that the ways that companies operate on a, uh, you know, a visual level is probably going to change. I think that it's going to change where your employment is, um, is almost virtual. You know, the company itself is almost virtual. Think about, you know, maybe a platform similar to like a LinkedIn or something, but, you know, where your company exists and you as an employee exist there and the kind of, you know, face of your company and its employees and their profiles or things like that, you know, do exist in this kind of, you know, virtual type of interface. Um, like I said, this is speculative, obviously, but I think that we're going to see more and more of that type of, um, representation of employees and when it's kind of out there on the face you know as of now you don't really know who companies are hiring until you've been in their office or maybe you have scoured something like a linkedin or you know something to see all their employees so um th there might be a little bit more of a push to have the um, like i said on a visual level here's your company here's the people in it you know it's it's maybe aggregated where other people can go and readily and easily see that on a platform and that might push you know things like uh you know making sure that, that we are hiring uh, responsibly i think is is really the the, the point here but um 
yeah, like I said, if, if recruitment diversity wasn't a priority going into it, I don't see this being the thing that changes that for you. I, I do think, though, that this this maybe opens an avenue for people to, for, for companies to hire people who don't live in their area, but still mm-hmm. might be the most talented, qualified person. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so, great. I yeah, love that. I yeah. love that. And, and I think that, it, like, if you're, if you are a tech company in San Francisco, and you can hire someone in Omaha, mm-hmm. you know, you could, I, 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 you know, you, you can discuss the ethics of this, you know, and, and that sort of thing. But I think if, if you are that company, you would be able to pay that person less in Omaha than, than you would have to in San Francisco. And so if that person is the most qualified, is the best person for that position, I do see companies perhaps maybe taking more of that route, not so much for the benefit of diversity or anything like that, but if the best candidate Mm -hmm. lives somewhere else and is fine with working remote and you can accommodate that while paying them less money and their cost of living is lower and things like that, I do think companies will take advantage of that on some level if, if they have the infrastructure to do so. So light outsourcing, diet outsourcing there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, like in-country outsourcing almost. Yeah, uh, yeah. But because we, we all recognize that New York and San Francisco are expensive places to live, but mm-hmm. lots of companies are based there. So mm-hmm. if a company that is in either of those locations looks around and says, you know what, it's possible for us to hire people that are remote. Can we do that? And if so, mm-hmm. like, is this also beneficial for our bottom line on some on some level and if the answer is yes you know i i I don't see why why companies wouldn't take that avenue um i I don't know how widespread that would be but i do see that as something that could happen i wonder how that will affect citizenships and work visas and things like that that you know require international um, cooperation you know between uh, entities so i i i think that's an interesting question as well definitely all right one more of these Mr. Massimo Raparini, he said that number five for what he sees as the fifth area that will never be the same again in the office is better balance. Quote, I recognize some people worry that allowing work into their homes will cross sacred work-life balance boundaries. I believe the opposite. It's up to us to structure it within our lives. I believe this moment in history is teaching us valuable behaviors for the future. The importance of structuring healthy eating, physical exercise, time with family, time for oneself, and work across the day. Mm-hmm. End quote. Uh, so this one is interesting because I agree with the sentiment of, uh, you know, if you were able to work from home, it probably, uh, you know, forced you to grapple with, uh, you know, how do I want to balance my time and my physical space when working from home? And, uh, you know, trying to be more diligent with, you know, when to sign off from work, right? And, and, and just knowing, all right, the workday's over. I don't need to be monitoring this 100% of the time just because I now live in my workplace. However, mm-hmm. the idea that it's up to only us to structure work-life balance within our lives, uh, I think is a bit misguided and kind of misses uh, the power dynamics of most workplaces, you know, if work is strapped, if you have a lot to do, or if if you're just being kind of overworked to a degree, there isn't much uh, room for negotiation for you to just say, you know what, I want to just work less. Sorry. Uh, or, you know, I, no, sorry, I'm not going to get that done. 
I have to prioritize my work-life balance. Though that sounds like an ideal that might be achievable in some workplaces where, you know, the workplace culture is a little more understanding of that dynamic, I really don't think, like, the tech engineers, for example, that work 60 Mm -hmm. hours a week plus and sleep in their offices during, um, during deadlines for major tech companies, I don't really think they're now going to be able to better advocate for work-life balance. It just doesn't mm-hmm. seem like the culture around, uh, around like how work ethic ends up uh, being kind of used to justify overwork to some degree. I don't see that going away. And now suddenly everyone is empowered to just determine their work and work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Seems a little unrealistic, though I you know, am sympathetic to the, um, the vision. I just don't see that being like a trend that happens across the board. Seems a little too optimistic, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I I absolutely agree. It's uh, it it's nice. It's one of those things that you would think that happened, that you would want to happen. But um, you know, I like I mentioned earlier in uh, one of our earlier questions is I I see this uh, um, without rigorous checks. It's just going to be one of those things that that inevitably will have to cross some of those boundaries. You know, it's it's one of those things where. You know, even even us. You know, we're we're in a industry that's you know focused on things that that are deadline oriented. You know, we are um, productivity oriented. You know, you and I and, and everyone here on this show. You know, we create um, products and content that you know is uh, you know tangible pieces that you know have to get put out. So um, I, I think that that lowering productivity or or diverting you know the ability to produce at a certain rate um, it's just not going to go anywhere for certain companies and I think you're definitely right on the tech side you know anybody who deals with that um, you know developers and you know gaming uh, specifically being another one of those that has a very crunch oriented um, ecosystem of their work and you know a lot of times that's tried to be offset by the physical workplace that you're in you know if you've ever gone to a you know a headquarters of one of these giant tech firms like a Facebook or a Google's uh, corporate offices, you'll see what I mean. It's a uh, a North Pole almost of like office spaces because it's designed to keep you there for the majority of your life. You know, it's it's designed to be this place that that kind of retains you, your attention, and your physical presence. Um, so as that starts to shift away, um, there isn't going to be a way to continue to have productivity at a certain level without inputting some type of checks and balances that then will also need to be checked and balanced. Um, so I, I agree. It's it, it seems a little too delicate. It seems a little too optimistic to to just say, oh, don't worry. This will all work out fine. I, I guess for me, I'm looking at this from, from my own personal perspective. I think when this all started, it was really easy for me to work until nine or 10 every evening. And every night when I stop working, mm-hmm. I acknowledge that there is more that I could do that day, which mm-hmm. at first was was giving me a hard time. But now I just recognize that at a certain point every day for my own sanity, health, and relationships, that it's better for me to just sign off at a certain point and acknowledge that there are just some things that aren't going to be able to be done in that particular day. And so I... I, I guess on a certain level, I sympathize with with what he's trying to say here is that is that it was a learning experience for me, learning that 
that I had a physical boundary of working and stopping to work, stopping work when, mm-hmm. um, when I was at the office because I would drive home. And when I got home, I would just not open my computer and not answer emails and not do things along those lines unless it was an emergency. But when I was at home, it was, and I was sitting on the couch working or, you know, sitting in, in the office space that I've kind of set up for myself working. It was really easy to keep doing that and just to put something on TV, eat dinner in front of my mm-hmm. computer, you know, things along those lines that I that it had to be a mindset adjustment. And so I think to a certain extent, when he says it's up to us to structure it within our lives, I feel mm-hmm. like that's something I've learned from this, where if I were to continue working from home or if I did it on a regular basis, that those lessons would carry over and it's something that I would continue doing in the future, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Totally. Definitely. And I, I hope that I'm proven wrong. I mean, I'd like there to be a broader uh, consensus on work-life balance and on really honoring the 40-hour work week. And hey, if we're being honest, you know, going for that four-day work week. I mean, I know <laughs> that sounds a little crazy, but... Um, but it's not really, you know, there mm-hmm. there are real tangible ways that we can continue to progress as uh, a society. And I think COVID has, um, uh, you know, pulled the um, pulled the blinders off of a lot of us on things that we just kind of said, this has to be this way and there's no other way for it to mm-hmm. be. And we've reached the end of history. And, you know, I think people's imaginations are opening up a little bit. So hopefully uh, I'm, I am proven wrong and this idea of work-life balance is given to more people and more people are empowered to feel like they can act on their work-life balance. But, uh, you know, right now I'm a little bearish on it because, well, I, you know, I guess I just have to see more trends for uh, m- broad change before actually putting any money on it happening so Mm -hmm. that's that this was a snippet from business casual with daniel litwin and tyler kern your b2b morning radio show tune in wednesdays and fridays at 9 a.m central on the simple radio app or marketscale.com slash industries